Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Okay, so we are going to be talking about holiness today because um, we're in the book of Leviticus. And, you know, the book of Leviticus, as we say, uh, I, as I say, the moment we start and I say over and over and over, it's a, it's a difficult book. It's a strange book. It's a book that is hard to make relevant um, in many ways. We've been talking so far mostly about purities and impurities and sacrifices and rituals and blood and fluids. And I just, you know... It's hard stuff. And, you know, last week actually started to, 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 to switch gears a little bit and think about uh, mandates, but even those mandates were um, intense and um, not commonplace. We talked about the sort of sexual um, prohibitions of Achremot, and it all feels very um, priestly. It all feels very specific to a certain kind of religious thinking. And this week, suddenly, everything changes. Um, this week, um, all of a sudden, we get this incredible proclamation um, that, that we, we, we ought to be holy. Kadoshim to you. You shall be holy. Because I am holy. I, your God, am holy, and so you should be holy. And the even the address there, to you all, all of you should be holy, feels different. It feels like so far we've been talking to priests or per perhaps to people who need to have to do business with priests because they are offering a sacrifice or impure or something like that. Um, but now we're all to be holy. And not just that, when we start to look forward to see what being holy means, we get some of the most beautiful um, lines in the Torah. Um, uh, the podcast this week, I don't know, Jess, if you can link us to the podcast for this week, um, but the podcast this week, we talked about one of the most famous lines in the Torah. Many, um, many of our sages felt this was the most important line in the Torah. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is the great principle of the Torah. That's in Leviticus. That's not in Exodus. That's in Leviticus. So, whoa things are starting to, to get broad and universal here in the midst of, the, of this priestly book. Um, and 
Indeed, what we have this week is a, is a, a catalog of laws and laws that are very broad and that think about all kinds of ethical principles um, that all seem to be under the banner of being holy. Uh, maybe my favorite, and I want to uh, say especially to my mother, a, a, a family favorite, is Lotekalel uh, Cheresh. Don't curse the deaf. Don't curse the deaf. That's in this week's reading as well. Don't curse the deaf and don't place a stumbling block before the blind, right? Great stuff, important stuff. Um, but what this is, this stuff, is laws. We are, we are now, um, once again, um, coming, uh, in, in coming to a, a catalog of laws that the tradition, um, uh, uh, I shouldn't say the tradition, actually. I shouldn't say the tradition because the terms I'm going to be borrowing from today are really, you know, usually I'm kind of a traditionalist. I, I, I'm not academically trained in Torah study. Um, but today I want to borrow from the academic world because the terms they use for this, these sorts of sections of the Torah are the codes, the codes. We, in, in the tradition, we think of the codes as the later redaction of the Torah's laws. Maimonides has a code. The Shulchan Aruch is a code. But the academics um, look to the Torah and, and suggest that the Torah already has a kind of, have, has a kind of code-like structure to it in certain places. And this is one of them. And um, this, is, this is one of the, the big ones that academics refer to as the holiness code. And we haven't seen anything like this since the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, which has uh, another, the first big stack of laws, which academics refer to as the covenant code. And that because it comes just on the heels of the covenant at Mount Sinai, okay? So the, the holiness code looks a lot like something we've seen before in the book of Exodus, the covenant code. They're, they're different laws, although, Today, we're going to do um, some comparing. That's exactly what we're going to do today. Often in class, we, can, we take stories and we, we see where um, we hear echoes to other stories in the Torah. That's sort of my style. And, and a, lot of, a lot of our work in this class is sort of comparative reading in different sections of the Torah. That's, that works really well with narrative. But does it work well with law? Well, I would say that I would, I would, I would, I would suggest that it does. But today, especially, um, I think it's going to be um, it's going to be uh, a conversation between two codes, between the Holiness Code and the Covenant Code. They really do. If you're a reader of the Torah and you come across this week's Torah reading, you are immediately reminded of Parshat Mishpatim um, back in the Book of Exodus. And so we're going to today spend some time thinking about how. Um, Parshat Kedoshim, be holy, um, is in dialogue with Parshat Mishpatim, be just, right? <laughs> so to speak. Okay, so uh, so we'll say a blessing and then we'll begin. Thanks to God who, who gives us this Torah to 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 occupy ourselves with. Okay. Um, okay, here we go. So let's let's start taking a look at the at the at the codes themselves. And um, uh, I gave you the academic names, um, the Holiness Code and the Covenant Code. I want to now let me just give you a link here. I want to now uh, show you the show you the codes inside the Torah, and 
um, and think about what names we might want to give to them, or at least I might want to give to them. Um, uh, here is a link to this week's uh, source sheet. Boom. There we go. Okay, so here's the the great opening, and it really is a great opening. It's one of the famous lines of the Torah, Kedoshim Tiyu. Um, this is how our Parsha opens. This is the beginning. And by the way, I should say, just to be fair uh, or to be precise, be fair to the to the academic discourse that I'm borrowing from, the Holiness Code, as the academics refer to it, actually starts earlier and includes some of those sexual prohibitions that we were talking about last week as the beginning of a kind of a legal codex in the middle of the book of Leviticus. But, um, but certainly they're borrowing the, the name from this verse. And this is the famous verse that opens this week's Parsha and really feels like it's starting a new proclamation. God spoke to Moses saying, speak to the whole Israelite community and say to them, Kedoshim tiyu, you shall be holy, Kedoshim, ki kadosh ani Adonai Eloheichem, because I, uh, Adonai, your God, am holy. Okay, so lots to think about there. What is it, what exactly is, does holy mean? Why, um, why, why um, do we bring up God's holiness? Is this, is holiness about imitating God? How is God holy? And how will these, these um, uh, upcoming laws make us more holy? Okay. Um, and then just to, just to give us the, the, the banner for the other code we're going to be looking at, the covenant code, um, that doesn't start by talking about covenant, but in, instead about mishpatim. mishpatim asher tasim lifnehem. You shall, these are the mishpatim. Now, mishpatim, we usually translate as laws. But if it were just mishpat, not plural, just mishpat, we would often translate it as justice. Mishpat is one of the words for justice. And actually, there's another word for justice, which is tzedek, as in tzedek, tzedek, tirdof. And how would I distinguish between tzedek and mishpat? Tzedek is like right, right, the right thing to do, righteousness. When you are, when you are right, you say, ah, tzedek, you are right. So... Um, and a righteous person is a, is a tzaddik. Mishpat is a particular kind of justice which does have to do with law because mishpat um, is about um, an ordering, an ordering of things. In fact, the, uh, the, the, the breastplate on the, on, the, on the priestly garment is the choshen mishpat, the ordered breastplate because it's in a row of, of stones. So, so think about mishpat as the attempt to establish a just social order, or you might say the attempt to establish a social order, which is considered a form of justice. Okay, so I, I mean, we're going to talk about the holiness code and the covenant code. Those are the common terms, but I, I would suggest um, that they really are the holiness code and the justice code, and I would suggest that in part because. You know, it's one of these things that I think maybe I, I always knew somewhere, but it's since I became a rabbi at Ikar, such a justice-oriented community, um, that I really started to find, I found myself saying this again and again, in part in celebration of Ikar's uh, central value, and in part to um, respond or compliment or um, 
or even put in tension Icar's central value um, of justice with this other central value in the Torah, which is holiness. And I actually, I would, I, I said, I found myself saying this again and again, and I suddenly realized, oh, I really believe this, that the two central principles, the two top, you know, paramount values in the Torah are holiness and justice, okay? So our conversation today to think about what is the difference between holiness and justice and a holy code and a just code and how do they differ, how do they overlap? This is an important conversation in just thinking through the whole value system of the Torah. Okay, so are they, as I suggested, are they in dialogue with one another? Are these two just two separate um, codes of law? And these are the holy laws and these are the just laws. I think you already feel like that can't be true because when I say um, don't curse the deaf, right? I'm not saying that, that, that you should be holy. I'm saying that's, that's wrong, that's unjust. And it's not just that, it's all kinds of monetary practices and um, all kinds of social regulations that we see also in the holiness code. Um, there's lots of work to be done here, but what I wanna do is just to look at the first verse after the great announcement of holiness, the first law that we are given in the holiness code, because I think in this first law, we see, we can see the dialogue between Exodus and Leviticus already taking place really, really palpably. We can see it. And it's a kind of a, a kind of a code within a code. It's a kind of a, an encoded verse that allows us to start thinking about, well, how is this, um, this set of laws in dialogue with that earlier set of laws? And, and how do we, when we see certain kinds of laws repeating, what is holy about this version? And what was more justice oriented about the earlier version? Okay, so let's take a look now at that first law here. Um, it's interesting because it, um, it contains two laws at once. So now back in the holiness, I'm trying to label them so we can keep track, right? This is the beginning of the holiness code, Leviticus. This is the beginning of the covenant code, Exodus. And here, back to the holiness code. And you can see we're just, here, verse two, we're just, this is the first verse, two verses later. Okay, this is our, our, our main verse of analysis today. And we'll be, we'll be comparing other verses to it. Ish imov aviv tirau, ve'et shabtotai tishmoru, ani Adonai Elohechem. You shall each revere your mother and your father. You shall each revere your mother and your father and guard my Sabbaths. I, Adonai, am your God. Okay, not many words, but there's a lot, lot in there. Okay, first, there's two laws. You shall revere your mother and father. And the word here for revere, tira'u, is a very common word in the Torah and in Jew the Jewish value system in general, yira, we often translate as fear. And you could translate it that way. You shall each fear your mother and your father. Um, we sometimes translate the word as awe. And that's probably better because it's fear of God is not really just, not really just a panic before God, but more um, being overwhelmed and being in awe of God. So probably the best translation here is to revere. You should each revere your mother and father. 
okay? And guard my Sabbaths. And the word for, for guard here is tishmoru, which means to observe or to guard or to, to, to watch over, to take, take note of, to guard carefully my Sabbath. I, Adonai, am your God. Okay. Now, I think you can already hear, well, well, uh, first of all, I mean, it's just strange. Like, what has one got to do with the other? Your parents and, and Shabbat? But I'm sure you can already hear, this is kind of like a, this is just an ID question. So on Zoom, it's, it's not worth asking the group, but I think you can already hear. Where do they, what do these two laws remind you of? The parents and the, and the Sabbath? Surely they remind us of, oh, Matt's doing it. Look at Matt's doing it. Then 10 commandments, 10 commandments. So it's certainly a callback to the Ten Commandments, and we will be looking at the Ten Commandments um, because the Ten Commandments has honor your mother and father. Actually, importantly, Ten Commandments has honor your father and your mother. Okay, and this says honor your mother and father. This is a, an order to, we're gonna be paying careful attention. What is different here? And then of course, the Ten Commandments has the Sabbath. Zachort Yom HaShabbat Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Okay, so that things are already starting to like connect or, or even blur together. But let's, before we go too far afield, let's just pay attention to this verse at hand. And I want to start by thinking just, just, just in order to bring some mishpat, some order to this class, um, I want to start with Shabbat. I want to start just by thinking about Shabbat, and we'll go back and we'll think about uh, what our relationship to our parents in terms of Shabbat, what is, what, is, what is holy about this formulation of Shabbat? Is there something particularly holy? You shall be holy. You shall guard my Sabbath. And I'll just add there that it's very interesting because in um, the Ten Commandments, here, I will, I will share that here just so um, we actually see. In the Ten Commandments, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? So there's already some, some sense that holiness will be a part of this, um, but you remember to keep it holy. Famously, the Ten Commandments is repeated in the book of Deuteronomy, and there, there are little differences in the way that it is given over. Moses, after all, is repeating God's words. And Moses doesn't say, remember the Sabbath day, but instead, shamorita Shabbat, guard the Sabbath day. So, but that happens for the first time here in the Holiness Code. So let me ask kind of a strange question, but this is the, the question, the kind of question we're gonna be asking today. What is holy, what is holier about guarding the Sabbath? Why is this a, a particularly holy formulation? Does anyone have an answer to that question? Matt, you want to start us off? Yeah, um, this goes back to that holy is separate. That that's what it means to be holy is to be separate, and it's guarding is is preserving that separation. Excellent, guarding. excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Matt, very, very keen and 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 smart work there. The word holy. Um, uh, we, we've, we've said many times before, the word holy, it means holy, sanctified, but the Hebrew holy is to designate something as holy and to designate specifically by setting it apart. The first thing to be called holy in the Torah is Shabbat because it is set apart from the rest of the six days. So, and then we become a holy nation. We are set apart, right? And God is holy because God is apart. 
So holy things, Matt is really starting us off in a great direction here. Holy things are, are put at a distance, removed, set apart. And so guarding them or keeping your distance from them or being careful about them or observing them from far, all of that seems to evoke the, the real deep meaning of holiness that, that Matt is reminding us of. Okay, Noah? Yeah, I, I think the pairing of this law is so interesting, both in Exodus and here in Kedoshim, that first it's making the distinction that Shabbat, it's a family event that we're respecting our parents, revering their traditions, and then taking them in as our own. And in an active sense, that's all the actions we're doing. And like in the Ten Commandments, the passive is Zahor at Yom HaShabbat Lakot show that we're passively remembering it and then turning that passivity in the remembering into action of the doing of all the ceremonies around it. I, I love it. You're like bringing this like incredible Torah wisdom with like the mountains in the background with your like your little like exercises like you wandered in from the field a real chef a real shepherd um okay great so noah the shepherd reminds us that uh, begins to make the connection for us to the other part of the verse which we'll turn to look at now um reminds us that it was true already in the ten commandments that shabbat is a family affair you celebrate shabbat with your family and Shabbat, these aren't just two of the Ten Commandments, they come one after the other. So let's begin to do some of that work as well and to think about, you remember the Sabbath day, you, your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, your cattle or the stranger is within you, you all rest together on the Sabbath day. And then the next thing is honor your father and mother. And, um, and so it is that in our verse here, um, you guard the Sabbath and you revere your mother and father. Now, let's begin to ask that question. What has guarding the Sabbath got to do with revering your father and mother? This is not just two verses, one after another. Same verse, same verse. So we've been now, we've, we've already done some good work in thinking about how um, guarding the Sabbath is holy. So what is it, what's that got to do with revering your father? How is, how is this all in the same holiness um, energy, right? Um, Ariella. Well, to me, when you learn how to honor and revere your parents, that it's very natural to honor and revere the Sabbath. It kind of flows. And why? Why? Hey, why? Why do you think so? That's that's an interesting suggestion. Why do you think so? Well, because when when you learn the what it means to honor a parent, um, then to honor the Sabbath can then become a more um, second nature. Because okay. okay, so these okay, so there's just something parallel. Something parallel Ariella suggests about having reverence for things. And one, like you maybe learning to honor and in this case to revere 
to be in awe of, to be fearful even a little bit of your parents, it teaches you what it's like to stand in respectful kind of over, overwhelmed relation to something. And that might lead you to just know how to treat things with reverence, things like the, the Sabbath. Yeah, okay, um, great. So um, let's now, we've done good work so far in, in thinking just about the Shabbat of holiness, the Shabbat of, of, of the holiness code. Let's now uh, go in, we've been comparing it to the obvious thing, which is the Ten Commandments. That's where we remember Shabbat being spoken of. But what about that covenant code? Did, did, did we say, didn't we say we were going to talk about the covenant code? And, uh, and is Shabbat in the covenant code? Well, I mean, Shabbat is in the Ten Commandments. I mean, it doesn't need to be right away the next chapter in the covenant code. But it is. It is. Shabbat is in the covenant code as well. So let's take a look at a very different version of Shabbat. And now I want to think if we've been thinking about the, the reverence for Shabbat, the honor for Shabbat, the, 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 but, but especially the, the guarding of Shabbat. So now let's think about the, this kind of, a very different kind of Shabbat formulation here in the covenant code. Okay. Sheshet yamim ta'ase ma'asecha uviyom hashvi'i tishvot. Six days shall you do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from labor, in order that your ox and your donkey may rest, and that the son of your maidservant and the stranger may be refreshed. Okay, so that's very different. That's a very different Shabbat. Now, is that... Is that a, we've been thinking about what is a holy Shabbat? So what's a justice Shabbat? And, and why is this, this version in the covenant code? I suspect you can, you can see, you can sort of intuit where, where I'm going here, but can someone speak it out for me? What is, what is just or mishpat or a just social order about this Shabbat? All right, I'm gonna let, uh, Yael, are you, are you, is that a hand raise or is that from before? No, so I'm gonna let Noah do it for us then. Ah, oh wait, a voice we haven't heard from before. I'm gonna let Allison do it for us. Um, cool, so it seems like the justice part is that we kind of make use of these different animals sometimes and also of different people. And so when we rest, then we're giving them a break as well. Good, good, good. Let your animals rest. Let your animals rest. That's important, that's just somehow. And just because you know, it's about the, we, we use these animals, we like, there, there are tools, they, you know, we, they work for us, let them rest. There's something just about that. Let, all right, let's continue to build. Elizabeth? Um, I think it has to do mostly with uh, the morality of it. Let's, yes, you can honor your father, you can, you know, do all the esoteric, beautiful stuff about Shabbat, but don't forget there's a real moral code that says, there are those who perhaps aren't Jewish, who don't follow the same laws, who are not monotheistic. But you need to remember, because you are who you are, that you need to remember all of them. That's part of, of your code of ethics and morality. That's really interesting. That's great, Elizabeth. So Elizabeth points out that the verse brings it outside of the Jewish community, right? The stranger, the son of your maidservant, even your animals, like the far afield of your religious covenant, sort of um, holiness covenantal community, 
This is about the whole world. First of all, it's, it's thinking about Shabbat in the social realm, right? In the world of, of action, in the horizontal rather than in the, in the vertical. But more than that, it's about thinking about all the implications of work in society. And who needs to rest? And is it fair to make everyone work all the time? Allison said, not even animals is it fair to work all the time. But also think about the relationships you have with those that are working for you and for the, all of the nations around you, all of the, the different peoples around you. This is a social, a social reminder. Great, Shabbat is about the creation of the world. Great, Shabbat is this holy thing. But also Shabbat is a time, not just for you to rest, but to, for you to think about the role of work and rest in society. Good. Um, um, Payam. Justice is being able to do something and choosing not to do it. That's the connection how the Sabbath is justice in the sense that you can choose to work. You can work, but you're choosing not to work. You're making a positive affirmation. And, and if we look at our legal system, a, a judge is just when he could send someone to prison for life, but decides to come sentence to X amount of years, for example. Mm -hmm. This is a very interesting thing Paim is, is saying here. I, I, and I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna capture all of it, um, but I, I, re I, re I think this is really important what Paim is suggesting. Shabbat, you might think taking a day and observing the Shabbat, making Shabbat different from the rest of the week, that's just a, it's like a philosophical, spiritual, holy idea. This is the holy day. But there's that act of not doing, of refraining from, of designating between the time for work and the time not to work, that has, there, are, there, are, there are implications for justice there as well, right? Like the very act of, of refraining or setting something aside, that is required also when we think about work. Work seems like just practical, just like the way things are, but maybe we shouldn't work all the time. Maybe it's unfair to make people work all the time. Right? Maybe there's something wrong about pushing people to work and work and work and never cease working, right? And, and that, so that very act of refraining, which we think of as a kind of conceptual or spiritual act is also, um, is also some of the, that conceptual work we have to do when we think about, uh, about a just society. And I think Paim starts to extend it even into all kinds of judgment and ruling, designation, thinking about what, it, what goes here and what goes here. These aren't just categories of ritual and holiness. Justice too requires us to parse things out and to be careful, reverent about, um, about how we place work into the world, reverent about how we place laws onto people. Okay, very, very nice, very, very nice. Um, okay, so let us now, um, so we've seen uh, the Shabbat in the, here, I'm gonna, share this. We've seen Shabbat in the holiness code and Shabbat um, had a certain, we tried to figure out the way Shabbat had a certain kind of holy charge here. We've seen Shabbat in the covenant code and that there's a kind of a social thinking that is swirling around Shabbat in the covenant code. And then of course we reference Shabbat in the 10 commandments itself. And it's worth thinking whether the, is the Ten Commandments doing both at once? Because after all, it does have holiness in it, right? But it is also thinking about the, 
the the male or female servant everybody everybody resting so does the ten commandments sort of suggest both and then the covenant code plays it out one way and the holiness code plays it out another way so that's that's interesting thinking we've and we've already done some analysis of the ways in which the um the parallel between the shabbat and the honoring of father and mother um we saw in the verse here in leviticus and um even in uh, um, uh, Leah pointed out, even in the, the family here in Exodus. So let's now turn, I want to think also about um, the holiness of um, parental relationships and the justice um, or the social spin on parental relationships. So we have, in the course of our work, we couldn't ignore um, the, the, the phrasing of revering parents. We've talked about what does it mean to revere your parents, to be in awe of your parents? Why might, why might it be, um, we were told to honor our parents, right, which might be active, but there's also a kind of revering our parents, which is associated with the, the revering action of holiness. There's something sacred about our, that relationship that we stand in awe of or careful respect for. So asking the same question, does the covenant code have anything to say about our relationships with our parents? After all, we're in the Ten Commandments just told to honor them. Does the covenant code repeat anything um, with respect to parents? And indeed it does. So take a look at the covenant code's version of, um, of, of honoring father and mother. And it's, uh, it's not so pleasant. One who strikes one's father or mother shall be put to death. And then there's, interestingly, there's sort of like a verse in, this is like context. Usually context, you go outside the verses, but this context is in the middle. One who kidnaps another party. Whether having sold or still holding the victim. And then finally, umikalel aviv, uh, one who insults one's father or mother shall be put to death. Whoa. <laughs> now that seems particularly harsh. I wonder if my mother would say that like I should be maybe put to death. Have I insulted her in the past? I, I'm not, not sure that I would escape punishment here. Um, and I'm not sure that I would sign on to the law. I mean, that, this feels a little much, you know? Insult your father and mother and you die. Pretty intense. But let's think about this in, in, in the context of the covenant code, right? We had to honor your father and mother, glorious, right? And what was the language, by the way, in honor your father and mother? It was honor your father and mother that you may endure long in the land that, you, the, that, your God, that the, the Lord, your, that Adonai, your God, is assigning to you. And um, then, of course, we had um, revering your mother and father. But here... The, it's it's about hitting your mother and father, striking your violently striking your mother and father. Now oof, that that sounds terrible all around. And again, I'm not even sure that you know. Certainly, our legal codes today probably don't have you dying for that. But the Torah does. The Torah doesn't want you hitting your mother and father. The Torah doesn't even want you um, cursing or insulting your mother and father. And if you do, you're put to death. My goodness. And then in the middle of that, it's also true that if you kidnap people and sell them, you're put to death. Well, okay, that, these are all bad things, but like, how, why, is, 
why is why does it look so different here in the in the covenant code what is it about this thinking around our relationships with our parents that is particularly related to mishpat to creating the kind of just social order how how is this different from the other formulations of parental relationships that we've heard so far suggesting here is that these are just these are very wonderful things we all agree in theory, honor your mother and father. It's a beautiful idea. Even revere your mother and father. You know, it's like as a principle, but in practice and the years go on and we all live together and I've disrespected my parents and I'm you know, sure somebody out there has disrespected their parents and it happens. And it's like, yeah, but you know, down to brass tacks, it's actually an obligation here. It's not just a lofty value. It's not just a way to be holy. It's like, you have obligations. You have to take care of your parents, just as parents have to take care of their kids. And the Torah is saying that. And if you don't, then they're, then, then we're taking you to task. Then there are real consequences. Kate Silverstein, Stein. I, um, I'm also thinking two things. One, we need to redefine family in that I was trying to help a friend, but because I was not a parent or a sibling, I didn't count. You know, I couldn't take on that role. But the other thing that I mainly think about with this, with where you're going, is sometimes the parent is no longer the parent you knew. And mm. Matt, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking about you. I hope that's okay, sweetheart. But, you know, the woman that I knew as my mother-in-law was not Matt's mom. She had Alzheimer's and was no longer that person. So in this case, he's taking care of someone he doesn't know anymore but has that obligation and certainly did it beautifully and wonderfully and, and caringly. And I can't speak highly enough about it. And I took care of a mother-in-law that I loved and I believed it was my obligation and my duty, but it was a totally different person we were each taking care of. That's a very powerful reflection, Kate. And, and, and very, very powerful uh, just, just as a, as a human reflection, but also a very, um, a very, interesting and, 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 and nuanced reading of the texts that we've been looking at, right? Because you imagine when you're honoring your mother and father, certainly when you're revering your mother and father, imagine being a child, right? Children honoring their parents in the parents' fullness of life. But um, as Elizabeth started to, to, to help us think, think uh, along these lines, what happens in the fullness of time when our parents age and we become adults? And then Kate takes it to that next step and imagines, well, what, you know, what happens when our parents are, 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 are not the same people? You know, that's, that's not, the, that's not the, the, the mother, the father that I honor. That I, what if they become difficult? What if they become vacant? What if they, you know, what do we do then? Don't, don't let loose. Rabbi David, and also, what if they don't know you? Right, right. So, so the covenantal code is, is, is insisting we owe duties to our parents regardless because they are our parents, okay? Um, okay, so where have we come? Um, this law here, this law that imagines that you are actually like, inflicting violence upon your parents. This is not, right? First, we had laws that were about honoring, active, active celebration, acts of, Cecilia was talking about the things we do to actively honor our parents, right? Then we have a kind of, a kind of 
reverence for, kind of stepping back and being in awe of our parents. But this is the situation really gone awry. This is, this is actually doing damage or harm to our parents, right? And that ugly situation of someone mistreating their parents, that is the concern of the covenant code. That is the concern of mishpat. That is the concern of justice. What actually happens, this isn't just holiness. This isn't just lofty religious values. What, how does this play out in society? And we may not, again, we may not like the consequences of these, these particular, curse your parents, you're going to die. But the messy nature of families coming undone, people doing harm to one another, that is the work not of holiness, but of, of justice, of being in the muck and fixing situations, trying to restore some kind of moral order to this society. Okay, I think we have time for one more comment from Susan Flessinger. I think one of the things it wants to prevent is what we call today elder abuse. Mm. But mm -hmm. because, and whether it's inflicted by a child or the people they have hired to care for the parent or people the parent themselves have hired to take care of them. But that would violate that code that we still have a duty to, if we can't take care of them, to find the best situation for, that, for the parents to be care, cared for. Yeah, exactly right. With the options exactly available. Right. Exactly right. Elder, like worrying about elder abuse. And as we worry about elder abuse, right, about, about not, not tending to our parents when they are at their most vulnerable, to the elders in our society when they are at their most vulnerable, but it feels like we're far afield from holiness, right? This is, this is not be holy, be lofty, be spiritual, be do. This is like, these are, this is real difficult stuff. And with that, as we come to a close here, I, I want to offer one last framing for this movement from the covenant code to the holiness code. And, and that is the framing of, of, uh, of Moses Nachmanides, the, Ram, the Ramban, who says that the reason for the holiness code, the reason that we are enjoined to be holy, is to go be what he says, um, 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 to go beyond the letter of the law. Right? to take it to the next level, right? Sort of what Rabbi Zaghi was saying earlier about building a fence around the Torah. If that is, that is to say, holiness is about, okay, we've got a basic working society, but how can we, how can we be a really exalted society? That's, where, that's what holiness is about, is taking it to the next level. So if that's the case, then justice is about the basics. Justice is about like, what do people just need? What is absolutely, we don't even absolutely need to make sure doesn't happen. What is, how do we prevent real egregious crime, violence, pain, trauma, harm? Let's start with that. And it's no surprise the Torah does start with that. And then maybe we can go back and we can reflect and we can look at these laws again and think about them at, at that higher level of going beyond the letter of the law and starting to think about not just not hitting our parents, but actually treating them with reverence and respect. I'll just say one last thing, which is that I want to just admit that all of the work that we've been doing today is to a certain extent false because I'm trying to separate one realm of the Torah into justice and one realm of the Torah into holiness. But we could already see in the 10 commandments that both of those things were happening at once. And it's actually even true in the codes themselves. One last look at the covenant code 
covenant code is a long list of laws. It, towards the end of the covenant code, um, it says, you shall be holy people to me. This is an exodus. You shall be holy people. You shall not eat flesh torn by beasts in the field. You shall cast it to the dogs. Now, I just include that because that's not a, really a principle of, of justice and it's just dead flesh. In the, it's, that's the kind of thing we would expect to see in the holiness code. But you know, uh, the covenant code is already going there. This language of being holy people, that's already been alluded to. It's already been suggested. The Torah was already thinking about holiness way back when, when it was just trying to create a stable social order. But just a hint, it didn't go all the way there. And hopefully now that we've done thinking and learning and meditating and studying on those basic laws that prevent the most egregious crimes in society, now we can move to that level and, and start thinking, okay, we've got a stable society. How do we create a holy society? So, and that work, boy, we still, we still have to do, don't we? So uh, uh, thanks everybody for your tour today. I will see you next week. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that that uh, we keep our classes, you can if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. 